0: to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the No Limit Selling Podcast. And today we have Mike Thorne with us today. Mike, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you. I'm really excited to uh, be part of this and appreciate the opportunity. Mike, what is a personal trust community? Yeah, so personal trust community is those people in your life that are there for you at all under all conditions. So think of it as you're on a trampoline and you're bouncing up down, having a great day, very, very happy. Then all of a sudden you start getting close to the edge. And these people are moving the trampoline so you're always safe in the middle. And you build around the five pillars of your physical, intellectual, emotional, social and spiritual. So think of it this way. There are people in everyone's life who you wish you had a closer connection to them. And I don't think of this like it's a uh, network. I believe these are the kinds of people in your life. I had a CEO tell me one time, he, I laid it out the five circles and he said, Mike, I think what you're sharing with me is I have a very good friend of mine who is a college friend, we've known each other for 30 years. We go out and have dinner together, we laugh. He said, he's actually an incredible intellectual. He's a great business leader. And he goes, I've never been comfortable talking to him about my business at a detailed level and he said, I think what you're telling me is I need to have him in a trust community where I can share anything with him and he won't judge me. So trust communities don't judge you. They're there to support you and help you, but they also challenge you. And so that's a very unique way to think about the relationships you build in your life. And when you do that, I believe when you're going from where you are today and you have this North Star you want to get to, the head trash in the middle is where people get hung up. They wear about all th- reasons why they can't get there. If you have this trust community and these people across these five pillars, they'll help you get there along the way and you can reach out to them whenever you need them. Those people are invaluable and you got to build them over time. I have people that are spiritual leader of mine that I've known since fourth grade, my football coach from high school, people like was in sales. And so I think if you stop and pause and think about who those people are in your life and you have a deeper relationship with them, when you're having ups and downs in life, you have people to share that with. It is enormously powerful. So as you're navigating on that uh, trampoline, you always stay centered. Ah, brilliant. You know,
0: one of the interesting things is we have this obsession with the Marvel Universe and all these superheroes. And once they have a movie or two, they go back to the origin story. like How did uh, Wolverine start? And one of the things I liked about uh, your work is you're looking at the origin story of salespeople Why do you think that's important?
1: So part of it is my own experience. I had a lived experience. I was put up for adoption. So I struggle with abandonment and trust issues. And I think if I understood that better at a younger age and other people did, I probably could have developed uh, much more aggressively. The second thing is I think salespeople in general come from all different types of backgrounds. And if we don't know where they started, and where they came from, their own experience and their own stories, I think we miss out on how to help them grow and develop. So can you give me a specific example? You may change names to protect the innocent of a particular
0: salesperson you were helping and then what problem you discovered and how you uncovered the origin story and how that helped them transcend the issue.
1: Yeah. So I had somebody who came to us. He had been working for the company and he was interviewing for a very, very important sales leadership role in our biggest division. And I wasn't comfortable that he was ready for that role. And so I go down this path of just asking to share his story. And what I found out was he was one of four or five uh, kids. Brothers are much, much older. His dad passed when he was young. He had no father figure. So we struggled uh, not having that person that he could uh, aspire to be. And he found out that uh, that was really holding him back quite a bit. And he saw me as someone that could be that person for him. And so we ended up going down a path of a few months of working together and understanding that what was holding him back. And he went from someone who would fight me to deliver the quarterly results, financial results of the business to someone who I knew well enough. and I knew he was a big Tom Brady fan. I just literally had to knock on his door and say, hey, buddy, it's Brady time. Uh-huh. And he said to me after working me for seven years, said, Mike, we used to settle for field goals before you came here. He said, now we go for touchdowns.
0: Nice. One of the issues is uh, a lot of times uh, salespeople or just general folks, they don't know what the pivotal issue was that's got them to this spot. And also sometimes they don't even realize it's a problem. And it right. takes someone that they trust to get them to actually see what's really going on.
1: Right. You have to you have to ask people. So I always ask people a simple question. I said, just tell me your story, and that can be three to five minutes. And in that time frame, you're going to learn an awful lot about somebody. And if they feel that like they trust you, and you're asking it genuinely, they're going to give you a real good picture of where they're coming from, or what might have happened, and that might be holding them back, or some of the fears they might have. And I think that's a place that isn't always comfortable for leaders to have those kind of discussions. They're afraid. They're not skilled in that area. It's just an area that, in my experience, is when you do that, you open up opportunities like you can't believe for people.
0: Absolutely. I think a lot of leaders would be like, I don't give a shit about uh, what happened in the past. I'm just worried about now. And the reality is the past defines now for them and how they see the world. And that's why I think really leadership is all about belief management, the beliefs of the organization. We call that culture, beliefs of the individual people and our own beliefs, and what we believe we're capable of and not capable of. Uh, I think that's one of the elements that's missing from the curriculum on how to be a CEO.
1: I agree. So I believe everybody goes through a three-phase process in every transformation in their life. It's you decide whether you belong. I don't know if you've experienced this, but whether you're going from high school to college, getting married, new jobs, having kids, you always wonder whether you belong. Yep. And then once you feel like you belong and you build up your confidence and you believe. And to me, the faster you go through that transition process, the faster you're going to be successful in those transformations that you make in your life. But in order to go through all that, you need to understand yourself. If you don't understand yourself and what's who you are, then, boy, you're going to really struggle. And I think that's hard for leaders to take the time to go do that because they're so focused on the operations and financial results of the business when reality is people is where the difference is in a company, in my view. Absolutely.
0: I think uh, you know that old adage, know thyself, wasn't like just a yeah. greeting card. It's essential to becoming who you were always meant to be because if you don't know that, you're lost. A manager a long time ago had said, uh, do you know what they call it when you don't know where you are? It's like, uh, what? Being lost is that if you don't know that, it doesn't matter if you know Paris is here, but if you don't know where you are, it doesn't do you any good. And so, I right. think just getting a real foundation on this is Umar. This is what defines Umar gives me the ability to uh, move forward in any direction that I choose.
1: Yeah, I think, especially in sales, you have a lot of people that. Um, so, like, like I said, you don't, people who are in accounting or manufacturing have a certain skill set, and they're pretty typically uh, very similar. But salespeople can come from all different types of backgrounds. And if you don't understand where they're coming from, you can really derail or misdirect somebody in sales. They can get pretty... Because they're out in an island a lot of times.
0: Absolutely. And so and part of it they- is
1: like, you know, the myth of the salesperson. The
0: myth of the salesperson is, hey, Mike, you don't understand. I don't need this CRM. You want me to fill in the CRM or you want me to sell? And, you know, right. hey, I do things my way. And what we need to realize is, you know, sales really... A lot of it is a science. If you can lock down a process... That's followed diligently. You can figure out where the uh, shortcomings are and fix them. If everybody's doing what they want to do, there's no way of knowing what works, what doesn't.
1: Yeah, I think there's a basic framework. So I always have this belief that you know, if you have a dog, and you put your dog in the backyard, it'll be fine with the fence back there. But if you have a horse, which I liken salespeople I like horses, they need to roam. If you put a horse in the backyard or try to bring the horse in the house, they're going to get pretty frustrated. So I think you need to build a guardrails like you would for horse, let them roam quite a bit. I had a salesperson years ago who was a relationship driven salesperson, mm-hmm. drove me crazy. I'm more process driven, more analytical and so on. And we struggled at first, but what we both learned was the outcome is we got to get to the same place at the end. And the two of us work together after a year working for me, he called me and he said, Mike, he said, I got to tell you, I never thought the two of us would work well together, but we're actually a great team. It took both of us to sacrifice a little bit of what we were thinking was the right way to do it. At the end of the day, we knew what the outcome had to be for both of us. And it was a very valuable lesson for me as a sales leader.
0: Absolutely. Uh, my wife and I, I'm very much, a, hey, let's go do that and execute first and execute quick. And she was a very, very kind of detailed person. It's like, hold on, Sailor, we need to build this infrastructure to go do that. And if we let her run everything, we wouldn't get anything new accomplished. And if you let me run everything, everything would be a failure. And just adding those two elements together made a really good team. And that's what it sounds like you did for your uh, salesperson. I think that's one of the things sales managers have to do is very much not one size fits all. It's like, okay, how can I connect with each one of the salespeople? There's a process in place we need to follow it, but how can I work with them to get them to want to do that?
1: Right. I think once you understand the story of the person, and then uh, I believe you've got to, uh, there's a company called Predictive Index. Yes. It's a scientific way. If familiar that, that, I'm certified in that, and I really found that years ago to be a great way to sort of understand how everyone's hardwired. So if you have, everyone has a briefcase, which is their background, their experiences, then they're hardwired to be behaving this way. And then you got to figure out what inspires them. And when you put those three things together and you got to spend time on it, uh, you can really start to move people from compliance to really committed to the organization. Big difference. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that we
0: really need to do is to, you know, how do we get people to put the organization first and themselves second, which is a hard thing to do because we're almost like hot wire to, look at me, I, I did this deal. And it's all about me and my ego. And sometimes I might say, well, the little people help too. But when you get people that are truly committed to how do we win as an organization, it just changes the dynamics and it also uh, adds speed to the organization because all that office politics, all that friction just disappears. And it's all about how do we outpace the competition and how do we win?
1: Yeah, I had a young lady who was in sales, came to me one time. She had an issue that we were dealing with and uh, she came to my office and She said, before I get to my issue, she goes, I just want you to know that I don't always agree with your decisions, which I thought, okay, here we go. But what she said was, I always respect, as does the sales team, that you walk us through what the situation is, what the options that were considered, who are the people that were involved in trying to navigate it. She said, we understand the other day, somebody has to make the decision. And so we have a lot of respect for the fact that you take the time to explain what's going on what the options are, get people involved, and then make a choice. And that was a long time ago. And I was like, wow, that is so powerful. It gets at what you're describing, which is people feel like, okay, I'm part of something bigger than myself. I understand why we're doing what we're doing. I think that's a big deal as a leader, especially in sales.
0: Absolutely. I think every every time you do something like that, Mike, you're training new leaders. Right. It's easy to come up with the answer. We're doing this, which is uh, doesn't add any value to the organization. But once you articulate This is my thinking process. One of two things is going to happen. A is everyone goes, that's amazing. Or B, somebody might go, yeah, but how about this? But at least a discussion at a higher level happens. And I think that's, I'm not sure if you've heard this before, but I've heard this more often than I would like. It's like, well, I really don't want to share that information because I don't want to be indispensable. So if they know it, then why am I here? And it's like, then you don't belong here. If that's your attitude, you shouldn't be here in the first place.
1: Right. No, it's very hard, especially as a young leader, if you have people on the, uh, the call here, the young leaders, it's very hard to feel vulnerable. I struggled with that early on in my leadership, and it did stem from my own lived experience. But once I was around people that helped me understand the power of being vulnerable, it doesn't mean you have to share things that are real deep, dark issues in the business because that could scare some people as a leader. But there's no doubt you get a lot more people that when they understand the bigger picture of what's going on, the more chance they're going to bring you new ideas to help you get through that. So it is hard for a leader, but it's really powerful when you become a little vulnerable and let people in inside of what's going on. It's a big deal, I think. Absolutely, and I think in our culture
0: there's a sense that uh, if you show that vulnerability or the transparency or I don't know what the hell I'm doing, that it's weakness. And the reality is, no. If you've got the right team in place, people step up, and it's like I think it's real strength to be able to do that.
1: Well, the strength is in asking questions more than having the answers all the time. I've found that to be. So true. Most of my career, the last 15 years has been going into businesses, not as a subject matter expert, but helping reimagine the business. And so being able to ask the kinds of questions to draw people, the information out of people is very powerful, yet hard to do. Yeah. I can't do this
0: trick, but I was reading a book recently. It was actually a fiction book, but they described this one person in the book that they had the ability to resolve a complex issue down to the question or the element that was the driver and they got rid of all the BS and just got right down to the heart of the matter. And that is, that's a hard trick to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think though, sometimes it's uh, where leaders walk into a meeting and if they're typically the ones that uh, are relatively new at it, they always want to walk in with the answers because that's what they think they're supposed to be able to do. But more often than not, if you just listen to your team and start asking them questions, many times the team will start to realize that their idea is, okay, that really doesn't make sense. I get it. Um, And that's hard because you're really sitting back and doing more questioning than you are doing all the answering. So, Mike, you may not realize
0: this, but I'm a genius. Uh, Many (laughs) moons ago, I used to work for Hewlett Packard for a little while and I was doing tech support. And uh, sometimes I just ask a couple of questions and they would go, Oh, and they'd solve their own problem. I I just got them in the ballpark. And for some reason, they thought I was a genius and I had not solved their problem at all. But I agree. If we can help people get their own epiphanies, And sometimes it seems like people see like it's a manipulation, but sometimes just asking questions goes, you're curious too. And it gets them to kind of get that realization. One, it uh, allows them to be better thinkers, better leaders. And then it also allows you to go, huh, who knew? So it's one of my deepest values is learning new stuff and being curious. And I think if you can just do that for other people, A, a lot of people don't feel heard. Like most people are telling them their problems or telling them what to do. But if you're just curious, it allows people to, A, feel valued, and B, be more valuable to the organization.
1: Yeah, I took over my first time uh, moving from selling in a territory to key accounts. I went to visit a customer of mine, and I had noticed it was at a show they were having in their their office. And I said to the guy, I said, "Uh, hey, can you tell me which one of the people that are in this room do you admire the most so I can learn from them? And he said, you want to talk to uh, John over there? And I said, why is that? He goes, well, he sells me all the fishing and tackling uh, product I have in my store. He said, the guy doesn't know a damn thing about fishing and tackling. couldn't even find a rod if he had to. But he knows my business inside and out, and he knows what sells. That's the person I want you to talk to. And so it was a really eye-opening experience because you're so focused on what you're trying to sell. when reality was it's more like getting on the side of the table with a customer and trying to understand where they're coming from, where their pain points. That was a real valuable lesson very early on. Yeah, that's brilliant.
0: And I think oftentimes we're trained to be, you need to be smart. And if you don't know, you pretend you do. And somehow that's going to work out. And people that are totally brilliant are the ones that are learning. And if they don't know, they ask. And like you said, asking questions is a great way to get at the right answers.
1: Yeah, I had a customer who was Target, as a matter of fact, years ago. Uh, the buyer was very difficult, and we chatted a while after, and he said, listen, he goes, "He goes, I just want you to know something. He said, you are very smart. You know your product line, know your company, know the industry, knows what's going to sell, he said. But what I'm looking for is for someone who, even though I know you work for the company you work for, he goes, I want someone who I feel like is working on my behalf, on my business, and it's on my side of the table and he said you need to learn how to go do that and you'll get more business because of it i was 24 at the time it was like a two by four hit me across the head but boy was that so helpful and i grew my business after that because i really had to rethink how i presented what we're doing and how i could be a solution orientated person versus selling him it's a big difference so if we've got
0: uh sales managers listing or we're ceos of small companies what are the five things they need to be aware of in leading and managing a sales team?
1: Well, I think the first one we touched on earlier is you got to understand where people are coming mm-hmm. from. That is number one in on my mind, uh, without question. Number two is you got to be intellectually curious as a leader. And by that, I mean, you've got to be understanding where people are throughout the journey because people are dealing with stuff in their personal lives that you don't always know what's going on. So the second thing is being intellectually curious, checking with the people all the time which is harder in today's environment because you're out and about and you're working remotely in some cases, and many times salespeople always have been. Uh, the third thing is have a process in place where your team knows that there's going to be certain things that have to be delivered on certain times. I think as much as we complain about that, I, th- I believe salespeople do like to be held accountable. The good ones do anyway. And then number four is to celebrate the wins. Right, right. You're always celebrating when things are as little as they are to celebrate. And the last one, as I would say, is always debrief. There's a guy, John Foley, is a great guy, and he has a process. uh, It's all about being grateful. And he always talks about the debriefing process. He was a pilot, and he talked about how at the end of every journey you debrief. And I think in sales, we don't always do a good job of that. And so after every event that takes place, debrief. Let's talk about what went well. Why do we think it went well? And create that safe environment for people to feel comfortable sharing. And the learning that goes on in that debriefing process is phenomenal. So I'd say that's sort of the last thing. The fifth thing would be the debriefing Nice. Process. And I
0: think a lot of companies do the debrief thing, but they do it for negative events. And it's not yes. designed to uncover what happened. It's designed to actually punish the person. Whereas we got to do it on wins and losses with the intent of how do we do better as opposed to who do we blame?
1: You got to. You have to celebrate no matter how small things that happen. People need to know that there's some good things happening in the company. And I would say that the support staff a lot of times gets lost in the shuffle on these sales uh, celebrations and debriefing. Um, I think the answers are inside the company. So you always got to make sure you're including people that are throughout the process in the company. And so celebrating that is really, really important. So debriefing, you're right. It sometimes be... Perceived as debriefing in a negative way, but it's really more about hey, let's just talk about what just happened, what can we learn from it? Everything's learning. Uh, Life's a team sport, man. Absolutely, and I think
0: oftentimes we take winning for granted, and there's lots of lessons there as well to repeat it and also teach it to other folks. Yeah. So, so Mike, one of the things uh, this is my personal theory. Yeah. So I think we have two driving factors as human beings. Okay. Uh, One, we need to belong to a tribe. Like we want to belong to a group. And the second thing is we need to retain our individuality. And sometimes those things are at odds with each other. I had uh, come across this study a long time ago. It was people looking at people joining conservative churches. Only conservative people would join a conservative church. And they look at how conservative they are and the church they're joining and what happened six months later. And what happened was that these people became a lot more conservative after they joined that church. They did the same thing, people that were quite liberal joining liberal churches, that after six months, they became more liberal. And the justification, at least the way I read it, was in general society, I'm the conservative guy. That's part of my individuality. But if I join a conservative group, I lose that. And the only way to retain it is to amp up my conservatism or liberalism, doesn't matter what it is. So how do you balance that when it comes to sales and teams, the need to belong to a team and the need to be an individual? And how do we balance that to get the best performance for the organization as well as the individual?
1: Yeah, so I'm on a mission to uh, restore human dignity, to unleash greatness in people. I, I just believe you've got to really understand where people are coming from. And a lot of times people don't feel like they belong. They try to fit in. And your ability to spend the time with somebody and make sure you understand you know where they are coming from, liberal, conservative, whatever their backgrounds are, whatever, and you respect that and honor that is really, really important. And I think when you do that, people will come along with you and they'll accept the fact that everyone's got different points of view as long as everyone respects each other. I really worry about the way we teach leadership in this country. It's a very win-lose environment Mm -hmm. right now, and everyone's trying to step on each other. And I think getting others focused is really, really missing today. And the pillars of society that we look at, religion being one of them, the Boy Scouts, the Olympics, have really destroyed the confidence of people when I talk to them about whether we really have a society that cares about others. So I think it all starts with this uh, trust community that – I call it a trust community. You called it a uh, tribe. Mm-hmm. I believe it's personal trust community is what I call it. And that means you got to really spend time helping your key salespeople build their own personal trust community. Absolutely. You can talk about that. The trust community is really around your, your personal well-being. Let's put it that way. And there's five pieces of it in my mind. It's physical, intellectual, emotional, social, and spiritual, and helping people identify where they are today and where they want to get to. And then building this personal trust community in the middle, I think is essential. And that to me is what will elevate leaders and bring the trust back to businesses and uh, teams, sales, especially.
0: Sounds brilliant. Mike, before we part company, uh, a couple of questions for you. Number one, what is a mind hack that you know, that you use, that allows you to be happier or more productive? Is there a tip you can give our uh, viewers and listeners?
1: Yeah, I would go buy the five-minute journal. It's a very simple little book, and it really helps you get up in the morning. You spend five minutes in the morning. What are you grateful for? What are the things you want to have today? And then at night, you do the same thing. And to me, instead of getting up in the morning, grabbing your phone, looking at your emails, and worrying about what's going on, it gives you a very simple way to stop and pause. I think it's a very, very simple, powerful journal that I would highly recommend everyone take a look at. Again, once you get up in the morning and then when you go to bed at night, it's really helpful.
0: So for you, what are the three biggest challenges you have right now as you're growing your practice?
1: Well, number one is, it's so Vistage is all about helping uh, small and medium-sized CEOs and business owners. That's what we're all about. And the challenge is finding the kinds of people that are ready to be growing personally and professionally. Not every CEO is ready for that. Yep. So that's, that's the first challenge I deal with as it relates to that. Um, the second thing in terms of the practices, I am building out this idea of building a personal trust community. And I'm trying to get it to a point where I can actually share that with some of the business leaders. And as I do that, having them work through that concept it's very unique for them to go do that. And the third thing is to, as you listen to leaders today, they're really, really struggling. This coronavirus continues to just happen. Yep. And they're trying to work their way through. And I'm trying to figure out what's the path going forward. What's it going to look like for everybody down the road? Because everyone sees the growth out there, but they all see all the hindrances along the way. And trying to help them get those roadblocks out of the way is probably the third thing right now.
0: Brilliant. Mike, thanks so much for being on the show today. And I'm looking forward to our next conversation.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you having me on there. Good luck.